Welcome into the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Monday, March 7th. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here, and we uh, have the pleasure, uh, largely due to Twitter, of being able to interact with some of the best football minds out there. Today, we actually go a step further. We're actually bringing you one of the best players out there at his position in the NFL. Uh, That player is Mitchell Schwartz. He is a right tackle uh, going through free agency at the moment here, and it is uh, our pleasure to bring him to you today. Uh, we do want to uh, extend our appreciation for uh, taking the time because I know you got a lot going on right now. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess, you know, our, our introduction to you kind of started uh, through trying to figure out what was going on with uh, actually the Patriots center, Brian Stork, and, and we were trying to, uh, you know, communicate with you regarding that. And I guess, you know, talk to me just at first, you know, you obviously see. Uh, you know, a lot of the talk on Twitter about, oh, so-and-so should have done this or so-and-so should have done that on this play. Talk to us just about, you know, how much you think the average fan doesn't really notice about what is going on in a specific play. How much detail is there that the average fan never picks up on? You know, I think, unfortunately, probably a lot. Um, you know, as you kind of look around Twitter and see the things that get shown up, um, you know, even the people who are quote-unquote, in the know, um, tend to not pick up on just a lot of small things that, um, you know, I tend to see, my brother tends to see, um, you know, talking to other guys. Um, I think that's one of the great things about what you guys do is you try to you know, kind of bring everyone's football education out, try to teach them uh, simple terms. And I think when you have a lot of these play-by-play guys and then the, uh, the, the color guy who has played football, he's so used to speaking in football vernacular that it kind of gets lost on the casual fan. And you know, it's great to see a site that's able to kind of translate that to the average fan, teach them about football, and teach them some of the some of the just simpler talking points. So here's here's a question for you, Mitchell, and I'll give you free reign because obviously our job is traditionally trying to explain what's going on on the field. How often are we completely wrong about stuff as well? Because obviously, you know, we're trying to figure it out, but clearly. Uh, you know, one example that I'll bring up, and, and I know Mark wanted to ask about this later on, so I'm stealing his thunder, but I know that uh, even just talking about a play in the Super Bowl, you ended up uh, talking on Twitter with Thomas Davis just about responsibilities that he may or may not have had. So how hard is it for us to figure out something out like that, and how often are we even wrong about what's going on? Right. I think, you know, there's probably people who are trained to do it are probably more right than they are wrong. I think it's just it would be a very, very subtle thing where, um, you know, say there's a, a slide going on a pass protection to the right, and, you know, you can tell the center and, say, the right tackle are going that way, but the right guard gets stuck on the three technique. He doesn't push through, and then, you know, the defensive end comes inside of the right tackle, and the guard's not there to pick it up. And I think most people who are trained to look for it will be able to tell that, you know, that the other two guys are pushing to the right, and the guard probably should have pushed through to pick up that guy. Um so it's stuff like that where people who know what to look for and, and they've either played or studied it will we'll probably pick up on it. Um, there's some small variations that you know, just I would pick up on, um, having known, just seeing like a slight movement. Maybe the guy's head goes the wrong direction. He's looking for something else that, that should be there. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I can tell when the offensive tackle has a dual read where he has to, you know, look at a linebacker for his first kick or two and then go block his defensive end. Yeah, that's something that I think a, a casual fan wouldn't be able to tell. Um, but, you know, as a player or someone who's who's used to looking for that, you know, I can tell that 
he's staring down that linebacker. If the linebacker drops in the coverage, he can turn back out to the defensive end um, and block him. And that's just an, an example of you know something that a, a casual fan wouldn't pick up on. Uh, in regards to the Super Bowl thing, I think that's a really interesting um, point. You know, I had kind of broken down just one singular play. Uh, it was a pretty good run for Denver on that. And like you said, I had um, categorized Thomas Davis as uh, guessing on the play, you know, to from an offensive lineman's perspective. You know, we don't necessarily know what the defense is supposed to do. Um, so we just kind of, you know, kind of figure, you know, uh, the tight end was going backside to seal the defensive end. Um, you know, earlier in the drive, the tight end had done the same thing, and he had um, play action into the flat and kind of an easy ball. Um, so for us, you know, I don't know that that's his responsibility in man coverage. If the guy comes across the formation, it just kind of seems like a, a guess because um, we don't know if he has he has the run of the pass. You know, I, I termed it as, as a guess on there, and then he said, you know, it's, it's not a guess, it's doing my job. Um, you know, I think if you were looking at it from a defensive perspective and you looked at the wide and you looked at you know, kind of everybody in the whole play, you'd, you'd have a better understanding of it. Uh, but from just like the, the behind view from what the offensive line typically looks at, um, you know, that's not something that really crosses my mind unless I'd, I'd given it a, a deeper look. Mitchell, one thing I wanted to kind of see if we could get into a little bit was all the different options that you might have as a lineman based on a play, either, whether it's a run play or a pass play. So I was wondering if, you know, say a f- standard five-step drop back is called in the huddle, a pass and play, how many different blocks might you have to execute depending on the front, p- potential blitzes, and how does that go about going down at the line of scrimmage? Because I feel like there's a lot of communication that happens that the average fan just doesn't know how that comes about. Yeah, there is. Um, you know, even a question like that, it, it seems simple, but that's all dependent on what the pass protection is. Um, so say it's like your, your your simple day one pass protection, the first play, you probably learn just a pure man protection um, where the offensive line has, you know, the four down guys who are rushing, and then we pick usually the, the middle linebacker of the three, and we go strictly to him. Um, so that's a, a typically an easier protection. Uh, we're pretty much locked into those five guys. Um, but then there's, you know, a different call for where the linebacker is. If he's in the middle, you know, kind of where in the center area, typically called a hole because he's in the hole between the two D tackles. Uh, if he's pushed over to the right, it's some sort of R term, like a, a Ram or a Ricky or, you know, whatever the, the offensive line coach likes to call that. Um, if he walks to the line of scrimmage, there could be another call just to kind of alert. Um, cause if the, if the middle linebacker is standing on the line of scrimmage, then you expect the D line to either plant inside or, or twist in some fashion. Um, so even on, you know, the simplest play, there's upwards of four or five calls just based on where one guy's aligned. Um, you know, you get into a, uh, more difficult protection. Um, like I said, the kind of those dual read protections, um, you know, where you have the, the four down linemen and then, the mic, um, if the mic drops, then you got to pick up the Sam or the nickel who's coming off the corner. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of variables and then you, all these funky defenses uh, nowadays, guys walking around. Um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of where the defense is getting their advantage a little bit. Um, just in terms of you basically have to track them. Um, you know, what's happened with, with guys walking around is it's hard to identify what the final defensive front is going to be because they're given leeway to, to do whatever they want. Um, so as linemen, you kind of just pick the four big guys, quote-unquote, who are typically the rush guys. Um, you track them wherever they go, and then you go to the side that, that you typically slide to. 
Yeah, how is how difficult is that? Because I know like Baltimore, sometimes they'll throw out that radar alignment where you've got six guys across the line of scrimmage on a two-point stance, all moving around. Is that something that you just go to a basic sort of slide protection? Or how do you handle something like that? Because it seems just from watching it on tape, that's going to be really tough to prepare for. Yeah, I mean, like I said, what you try to do is typically there's either three or four uh, design rushers on the field. Um, you know, if you're using Baltimore as an example, typically, you know, one will be Doomerville, um, one will be Suggs. Um, nowadays, you know, one could be Jernigan, one could be Candy. So if those four guys are on the field, those are the designated big guys. Um, for the most part, you'll end up tracking those four because those are the four who are most likely to come. And then, you know, if it's on, I guess it depends on the team, but say it's a slide to the right, um, the center will probably start kind of towards the middle, a little bit to the right, um, just knowing that if you're sliding to the right, the back's going to have the left. So if someone else comes on the left, the back will take him. Um, if you're on the right, you kind of just have to hope you block the first three. Um, you know, you also have some trust that the defense knows what they're doing, um, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, for the most part, you're not going to get, you know, a crazy overload blitz where they where they bring, you know, five guys off the right and no one off the left. Um, you know, I think – if they did something funky that, that you don't expect, you know, you, you have trust with the left tackle and the left guard. If they're not blocking anyone, they'd you know, turn to the right and try to help out and pick up as many as possible. So in those situations, you actually do have rules. Um, you try to um, apply them as, as well as possible, given all the, the moving parts. And then um, at the end of the day, I mean, if they're going to be, you know, off the ball walking around and, and they don't tie them up the cadence right, you do have a little bit of an advantage uh, you know, given that they're not jumping the snap right away, they're, you know, half a yard, a yard off the ball. Um, so they, they can lose a little bit of the advantage there as well. Mitchell, when we talk about film study for an offensive lineman, and I don't want you to give away all of the uh, trade secrets, obviously, but what are the biggest things that you're focusing on when you're looking at an opposing defense? I think the first thing you know we typically do is we'll, is we'll watch a game just to get a feel for the the scheme, um, the structure of a defense. Um, you know the 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 three four defense is seems to be a little more in vogue, but the true three four, the the Pittsburgh three four from you know a few years ago, that's that's not as prevalent anymore. Um, you know teams we played this year, really Pittsburgh and San Francisco, were the only true two gap teams that I can think of. Um, you know, these teams like to, um, you know, reduce the backside defensive end into a, a three technique and kind of let that guy be a, a penetrator and, instead of a, a two-gap read guy. Um, you know, they're kind of going to a similar scheme and similar structure, but they're letting their defensive linemen penetrate more and, and be a little more disruptive. It was kind of the, the, the first thing that you look at, just, you know, kind of general scheme, um, how often do they play certain fronts, and then... And after that, you'd get a little more specific into the guy you're going against. Um, like I said, when you get a, a defensive end who's a, a four-tech player, a head-up guy who's going to you know, kind of read you, you know, your technique's a little different than a, a guy who's going to straight penetrate. So you got to figure that out next. And then for tackles, you probably look at uh, pass rush um, and just try to see what the guy likes to do, what he's good at, um, what are some of the counters once you shut down the first move. And then, you know, once you've studied your individual opponent, um, then you can look at different, you know, third down situations. Um, you try to figure out, you know, say, third and four to six, they have a different uh, blitz percentage than third and 10 to 12. You know, third and 10 to 12, they might like to drop eight, only rush three. 
uh, third and four to six. I might like to heat you up, uh, bring some zero blitz, just try to try to disrupt you and make the ball get out quick and, and not give up the first down. So you kind of go through all aspects of you know the the overall defensive structure, um, studying your individual opponent, the guy you're going to see most often, and then kind of trying to get um, percentages and if you can get tells on you know when teams like to to do certain blitzes or um, you know what are going to shift the odds in your favor. When you look for these tells, are you looking for something that's scheme-based, such as you might see a, a linebacker that might show a, a stunt right before the snap? Or are you looking almost individual-based, like you're looking at a defensive end, might adjust his you know, might adjust his stance, might rock back a little bit in his stance if he's going to blitz or if he's going to stunt or if he's going to drop? Are those the things you're looking for? Yeah, you look for kind of everything you can. Um, you know, I think when you – when you look at your your individual player um, in terms of what he does, you can get some feel for, you know, maybe you can see a stance tip or he's doing something a little bit different with his alignment that, that gives away if he's going inside or outside. Um, you know, I know the, uh, the centers and quarterbacks especially, they like to watch all the, the third down pressures, and a lot of that stuff is based on safety rotation. Um, you, know, you know, if you have a, a flat DB who's pressed up pretty tight on the on – the, uh, on the slot receiver, and there's a safety behind him, there's a good chance he can blitz. I mean, he has the protection behind him. He's not going to leave the wide receiver all alone. Um, so you're looking for, you know, kind of structural tips. Um, you know, if a guy doesn't have the safety behind him, he has a much lower percentage chance of blitzing. Um, but then that's also, you know, week to week, depending on the defense. You know, some defenses are okay kind of letting the guy blitz from the slot without being topped. You know, they trust the fast running back to run out there to cover him or something like that so that's where it goes you know kind of understanding the the coordinator his his general philosophy what he's done in the past um and then the coaches i mean they watch so much film that they kind of tune you into that as well but and i think you're just looking for everything i mean anything that, that can be used as a tip um you know if you're looking at double a gap blitzes uh maybe you see some form of communication between the linebackers to see who's going to be the blitzer or, um, you know, getting in, in vogue now is when it's a double-A blitz, trying to do a pick on the center and loop the other linebacker around. You know, maybe they have some form of communication. You can figure out which guy is going to be the pick guy, which guy is going to be the loop guy. Um, really just any any small tip that can give you any sort of advantage. Mitchell, when we uh, talk about how most people watch a football game, the average fan doesn't understand an awful lot about uh, offensive line play. If you were to pick out one piece of technique for the average fan to look at that gives them just a little bit more knowledge about what a uh, you know how good a lineman is and how well they're able to operate, what would that piece of technique be that you would have them look at? That's a really good question. Um, you know, it's so hard to, to narrow it down. I think at the end of the day, your job is just not letting your guy make the play. Um, you know, as, as basic and simple as that is. Um, you know, my guy, my guy just can't make the play. You know, we have there's a, a definition of finish that you got to finish between your man and the ball. Um, you know, whether that's on a run play or a pass play. Um, but for for linemen, I mean, um, you know, in pass pro, you don't like to see guys who are you know one out of control. Um, you know, I think you can tell pretty easily from an offensive tackle when he's um, panicking and he's kind of getting outside of the framework of his body. He's afraid of a guy's speed. Um, you know, he can, you can just kind of tell when he's overcompensating. Um, you know, he's kind of going too fast. His body's out of control. He'll end up 
you know, tending to be leaning over his outside leg a little too much um, and giving up an inside rush. Um, you know, I think for, for guys inside, for, uh, you know, centers and guards, you like to see um, the ability to, to punch at the line and, and be stout and not give up too much penetration. Um, you know, typically the interior three guys are um, charged with, you know, they say um, setting the depth of the pocket. Um, you know, they can't get pushed back too much. They have to allow the quarterback to be able to step up. Um, so from the interior three, you like to see an ability to, to, to punch and to stay firm at the at the line of scrimmage and not give up too much ground. I think in the pass pro, you know, those are those are two things that are you know big for for tackles and for the interior three. Um, in the run game, you know, I think there's a, a big emphasis on you know the initial strike of alignment against the D lineman, but you know really what makes a quality block is is how the guy finishes. Um, you, know, you can hit the guy as as hard as you like and. If you're out of control and you're leaning too far and the, the guy ends up throwing you, the D lineman's going to make a two-yard, three-yard uh, tackle for loss. So the initial strike is important, but it's more important to have you know a good base, good hand placement, and be able to, to drive and, and really sustain the block throughout the entirety of the play. When you sit down to watch a game, Mitchell, whether it's Thursday night football or you're watching Cal play on Saturday or Saturday night, can you separate the football player who's trying to read a defense and react to plays and you know block a play from the guy that's just trying to sit down and watch a football game? Do you find that you're calling out defensive fronts or things like that when you're just trying to watch a game? Um, it's pretty hard to separate. You know, I think I, I watch it from more of a, a fan perspective, but I think the, the typical fan just pretty much follows the ball. Um, you know, the quarterback hits the first, and then if he hands it off, he follows the running back. If he throws it, he follows the track of the ball, and if the receiver catches it, he follows it from there. You know, I kind of, I guess you could say, like, stare at the middle of the field and the center of the screen and just kind of kind of take in the whole picture. Um, you know, I think I've done a, a good job being able to, to see the whole picture as the game unfolds, and, and I'd say I definitely look at the, the lineman more than anything. Um, you know, I think for the most part, you can kind of tell how the play is going to go if you're looking at that. Um, you know, if you see a lineman get beat immediately, say on a pass play, you know there's a good chance it could end up being a, a, a sack or he's going to pressure the quarterback and force him into a bad decision or something like that. Um, if you see a, a offensive lineman on a run play get um, you know beat really quickly, you know that you know for the most part that D lineman is going to be at the point of attack and screw up the initial angle of the running back. Um, so I, I watch it for fun, but, you know, for me, watching for fun is also kind of watching the line and, and just seeing how all the guys are doing in, in unison. Mitchell, uh, last question for you. We've got a couple minutes left here. We've seen the NFL in the last couple of years continue to crack down uh, on the chop block. We continue to see rumors uh, that the cut block is eventually going to be something that's phased out of the game. Do you have any thoughts with regards to that at this point? Yeah, I do think that there's a, a definite distinction between a chop and a cut. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I know the original report had said they're going to look into, you know, further decreasing chop blocks, um, which by my understanding were already illegal. Um, you know, typically the, the chop block is a, a block that happens in the back of a guy's legs or it's, you know, from a receiver who's outside of the box who's not allowed to, to go in towards the formation and cut a guy. Um, you know, I do know... Uh, cut blocking as an offensive lineman if you know me as the tackle if the guard um you know has his hand on the the defensive lineman i'm still allowed to to go low and, and cut the defensive lineman's legs um but you know my my front side or backside shoulder has to be um 
fully across the front side knee of the defensive lineman. And, you know, in the last year or so, they've also outlawed, um, you know, if you're too far in front, you're not allowed to roll back into the uh, defensive lineman. Um, so they made a, a, a lot of small adjustments like that in, in regards to just, you know, the, the clean and legal cut block. Um, you know, if you're going, I think, you know, the, the next step potentially would be in college, you're not allowed to, you know, have an offensive lineman who's engaged with the defensive lineman and then the adjacent lineman comes and cut them. Um, I think the, the rule is that the, the guard has to be, in this example, the guard has to be, you know, kind of pushed himself off of the D lineman and escaping to the next level to allow the tackle to come and cut him. Um, you know, I can see that being the next step. Um, speaking from experience, that would make my job a lot more difficult. Um, but I don't think, you know, people see the definition that, you know, me as the tackle, I'm allowed to cut a guy who's um, engaged with the offensive guard because the guard's lined up next to me. And I think they think that, you know, the guard kind of bear hugs the, the D lineman and then I just go and take his legs out. Um, you know, it's not a, a vicious play like that at all. Um, you know, typically you're only allowed to, to cut as a lineman uh, on the backside of an outside zone scheme. Um, so there's a lot of movement. Um, you know, the three of us, uh, the, the guard tackle and, and the defensive lineman, we'll all be running. You know, we'll be going pretty full speed. Um, you know, the guard knows the or the, the defensive lineman rather knows the scheme. He kind of knows that that's a possibility. Um, the guard has to get through to his linebacker on the backside anyway. So, you know, he's just leaving a hand for me essentially on the D lineman's shoulder. He's trying to get the, the D lineman turned for me to, to make it an easier cut uh, for me to get my head across so the, the D lineman can't just, you know, full out sprint and, and beat me across the line of scrimmage. So I think, you know, people see that definition of, of an adjacent adjacent lineman being able to, to go low on a guy who's engaged with the def- another defensive lineman. I think it's a lot more malicious than it, than it is. Um, I think if you look at a, a lot of a lot of legal cut blocks that happen in that regard, they're they're not as bad as people think they are. Outstanding. Well, Mitchell, this has been uh, this has been absolutely awesome. I can tell you, uh, you know, as as a kicker by trade, certainly I've learned a ton. You know, just being able to talk to you through this, and I'm sure that our listeners have as well. So, again, we really appreciate you joining us here because I know you do have a lot going on uh, at this point. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was that was really fun. Absolutely. We'll uh, talk to you soon, and best of luck in the upcoming season. All right. Thanks, Mitchell. All right, thank you. All right, that was Mitchell Schwartz uh, currently with the Cleveland Browns, maybe with another team at some point this week, unknown at this point, but hopefully we see a deal worked out pretty shortly. And, Mark, I'll tell you, I, I got I got a ton out of there just because, you know, just to be able to talk to someone who's actually seeing it and making those reads and making those plays at the highest level tells you a ton right there. Yeah, it's a, it is amazing stuff, and it just goes to show you. And you know, we try to do it as best as we can inside the pile on us to kind of give it context to a play and say, you know, this is what we're seeing, but we don't know for sure. And you know, as Mitchell kind of spelled it out, I mean, any single run play, pass play, he's got a permutation of reads and decisions that he might have to make depending on what play is called, the defensive front, what they might be seeing from the defense. So there's just so much that just looking at the tape on you know Monday afternoon that we just don't know. And it was just amazing stuff. Well, and in particular, I mean, a lot of times, you know, we all often talk from the perspective of a quarterback trying to make a read against the defense, trying to see what the defense is giving to him. But you've got to remember, you've got 
every other player there trying to make different reads based on what their responsibilities are and then somehow have it all come out looking like a finished product at the end yeah. there it's uh you know it's it's i, I think that it just kind of gets back to that mantra of look you've got to do your job and accomplish what you have to do against the man across from you just like you said yeah and you know from an offensive line perspective it's not as simple as oh just block the guy across from you i mean you've got three or four different guys that you might have to block depending on how the play shakes out. And you've got to be able to do it in an instant. And as Mitchell said, finish the play with your man, with yourself between your man and the football. How closely would you work with your lineman in terms of making sure that you had the right protection scheme? I mean, is it a case where you're working with them throughout the game just to make sure that you're picking everything up the way you need to? Yeah, I mean, basically it... You know, say you come off the field after third down and you have to punt, you're on the bench, you're sitting with the offensive line coach, with, you know, the offensive coordinator, the head coach, backs, pretty much the entire offense and making sure that everybody's seeing the same thing, seeing the same front that we expected to see that we can practice and that we can film study. Or if we're seeing something different that everybody knows, okay, we're not blocking this like it's a, you know, we're not blocking this like it's an odd front. We're going to have to block this like it's an even front. Um, if there are plays like we had plays that we had to get out of based on fronts, like if there were run plays that were called that we just couldn't block based on that defensive front, we want to make sure that we're still seeing that the right way. Or if now we think we can now block that based on an adjustment that the defense has made, that now I know that we can still run those plays. We don't have to get out of them. So, I mean, it's a it's sometimes almost a play-to-play adjustment process that goes on throughout the course of a game. There are just so many moving parts and that was just me at the Division Three level. It's not, you know, Mitchell going up against the Baltimore Ravens in that radar alignment. So it's, as we've said, it's a very, very hard game. So hats off to Mitchell and everybody else that plays it at that level. Definitely. And uh, I'm going to make the executive decision, partly because we've gone long and partly because I don't think we can uh, really add too much to here. I'm not going to do a Twitter question today. You're not going to ask me my 40 time? Uh, 5-8. There we go. We're done, right? Perfect. Done. Exactly. We are done. Folks, that is all that we have for the day. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield, enjoy your day. We'll see you tomorrow.